Hey, everybody, Steve here, Local Level Podcast. I'm sitting here today with Octavio Duran, principal and owner of Duran Law Offices. He's a personal injury attorney serving the Chicagoland area. Um, and you can learn more about him at DLOChicago.com. It's a real pleasure to have you on, Octavio. How you doing? Yeah, yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. So thank you for having me. Absolutely. Uh, so we, we had a conversation uh, about a week ago, kind of uh, going over some of the different things that you do. Uh, you recently started your business, at, what was it, in September? So it's been almost a year now. And right. uh, how's that been going? Uh, you got you got a little curveball with the COVID, huh? A little bit, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, just like any startup, it was pretty tough in the beginning, working long hours, uh, freaking out, you know, wondering if I'm going to make it and lift this thing off the ground or not. Right. Uh, you know, eight months later, uh, things are a lot smoother. This, despite COVID, uh, things are a lot smoother. So I've got staff now. I've got a pretty good handle on um, how to manage my files, my clients. Um, and, you know, I don't have a hundred percent control or, or, or vision of everything, but we're getting there. Right. So that's part of the battle. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, personal injury, but you also kind of have a passion, uh, your first generation, uh, 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 what is it? It's Mexican American, right? Yeah, correct. And, uh, so you, you, you deal with the Spanish speaking community, kind of as a, uh, uh, I guess, would you say that's your specialty or how would you kind of uh, define that? Yeah, I, it's sort of my niche, I guess, right? I, I focus on helping that community. I obviously assist um, on the personal injury front, anybody who's injured, period, whether you speak French or sure. Japanese or English, right? Uh, but I just feel that, um, you know, Spanish speakers in this country um, can be vulnerable and they can be exploited very easily. Um, and so I want to be there to sort of not do that, right? To be, to be the one to give them the, the correct representation that they deserve, need, um, and be able to do it well. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, so it's, it, it's, it's hard uh, sometimes because when we were talking before, uh, like you're saying now, you know, it's, it's a community that's kind of taken advantage of or marginalized a lot of times. Uh, yeah. And uh, people, uh, I think, and then we'll touch on this a little bit that, you know, people are afraid to uh, make claims if they get in a car accident or something like that because of the fact that they feel like, you know, they may be uh, deported or, or something like that. Can you tell us a little bit about your experience with that type of stuff? Yeah, I mean, it's it's basically that. So I see a lot of folks who never uh, do anything when they're injured, when they're Spanish speakers and primarily undocumented Spanish speakers because uh, they're just afraid and they're afraid that if they do file a claim, somehow that's going to alert ICE, like there's some sort of like central database um, or it's going to, you know, hurt them in some capacity if later on they want to try to adjust their immigration status. Um, so, you know, there's this general fear and uncertainty by them, especially in, in today's world uh, with with the politics that we have that that tends to be more anti-immigrant than not. Um, you know, I, I do see great hesitation with a lot of them and it hurts their case a lot. Um, and I don't think I explained this to you last week, because if if one of them gets into an accident today and because of those fears that I just mentioned, they don't do anything for weeks and weeks, eventually it's going to be really hard to help them. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if they go see a doctor about back pain two months from now, it's going to be hard to, to link that that pain to the to the accident. So um, it, it happens a lot, unfortunately. Yeah, I well, I can imagine so. Uh, I mean, politics plays a big role, but, you know, any anytime there's a language gap, 
you know, there's also that kind of hesitation as well. Um, uh, yeah. You know, and, and uh, it's unfortunate, but that's why we do the show to kind of highlight some of the different uh, topics that people aren't always aware of. People, you know, tend to think about their own life and their own from their own perspective a lot of times. So it's right. good. And uh, I think it's helpful to, to, you know, get outside of the box a little bit and, you know, hear some other stories. Um, so uh, backing off of that for a second, uh, tell us a little bit about how you got started in law, because I know that from a young age, you were really passionate about, uh, know, you know, you knew what you wanted to do. Can you tell us a little bit about yeah. that? Yeah, I, I did. And uh, I, I say this somewhat jokingly, I, I realized I want to be an attorney from a Spanish soap opera. So <laughs> my, my mom used to cook us dinner and during dinner time, we'd sit around and, and watch her soap opera as we didn't have a choice. It had to be what she wanted. She was the boss. Was right. Like, okay, fine. Uh, and one of the heroes was an attorney. So it, was, it started as general interest, right? But then when I got to high school, I joined the, the school's mock trial team. Um, and then we won a couple of uh, tournaments with that. So that was a lot of fun. Sure. Um, actually, was um, I got the title of best attorney, actually, in my high school. Um, and nice. then I realized right then and there, this is what I want to do. And I want to do trials, right? I, I want to be in court. Uh, so when I went to college, I took speech and debate courses and really prepared to, to you know, just improve my skills and public speaking and so on. Went to law school, joined their mock trial teams and won some attorneys there as well. So, um, you know, it was sort of cemented, I guess, with that mock trial experience in high school. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, what did you say? You said that you, you started, um, what was it like in, in uh, uh, like six years old, you were talking about wanting to be a, uh, an attorney. Most people yeah. are, most people are sitting, you know, uh, asking for ice cream or something. You're, you're trying to <laughs> solve, uh, solve cases and, you know, do trials. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so tell us a little bit about your, um, your, your practice itself. Uh, you know, what do you do differently? What are some of the things that you kind of set out to solve for people aside, you know, from the things that we just kind of talked about? Uh, what are you, what are your main thing? What are the main things that you're kind of passionate about? What are you doing different? Yeah, yeah. So uh, my vision with this firm was to provide a very transparent and um, uh, systematic way to communicate with clients where they know what's happening to their case all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, and I can explain to them step by step what's going on so that there's no confusion uh, from the early onset of setting expectations of the case to when the case settles. Um, and, you know, it, all of that together uh, really helps the clients. They, they love the customer service aspect of it. And I'm able to do that because I, I use a lot of technology and softwares to do this. So I use one software that puts their files in a cloud and I can text them from that. I can email them from that. Everything mm -hmm. that we send back and forth becomes a part of their file and they have access to that. So um, they, they, they absolutely love that. They love that they know what's going on with their case all the time so that they're not calling me out of the blue like, hey, how's my case going? They yeah. just go on and check it out. So that's sort of been my vision and it's helped tremendously um, from their side. And then from in the internal aspect, I wanted to make things so systematic that we can be super efficient. Um, and a lot of my stuff that I do is virtual. So it's interesting that, you know, now because of COVID, we have to work virtually, but I was already set up to do that before. Um, and I think that might be sort of the future of a lot of law firms is, you know, you're not going to see these big firms in the um, in just one big building. You're going to kind of just see them scattered. Right. Yeah. I mean, now more than ever, uh, that's the way people I mean, you're forced to do business. But um, I, I would imagine that uh, that's that's kind of saved you 
uh, uh, or at least set you apart from some of the people that haven't been uh, so savvy with, you know, kind of doing things the modern way. Um, yeah. and for, I mean, from the from the client side, I imagine transparency is the greatest part. Uh, you know, I mean, that's what you always want with an advocate of any sort. Um, yeah. So, I mean, there's obviously a reason behind that. So you wanted to go through this because I figure, uh, you know, that communication is key. So what were some of the what were some of the, the, the shortcomings that, that you saw in the industry? What are some of the things that you think are going to be after we get back from this COVID thing? Who are, who yeah. are going to be the, the ones that didn't make it? What are the practices that that are just not going to wash? What do you think? Well, so I think. With COVID now, there's an expectation that you're supposed to respond quicker because you're you're at, you're locked in at home, right? Right, right. And so um, I think those that aren't going to make it are the ones that aren't providing or aren't responding to their clients right away and aren't answering their questions and informing them right away of what's going on. Um, and I've seen it even right now. I'm getting a lot of clients who are firing their attorneys and coming to me because wow. they appreciate the fact that, you know, we're quick to respond to their questions, we're quick to help them with any needs they have. Um, and so I think anybody who, who fails from that customer service aspect is gonna struggle. Uh, so that that's one aspect. Um, I've already seen a lot of uh, firms sort of start to tumble, if not close, because of the nature of their practice. And typically it's been criminal law and immigration. You know, They're primarily in court with appeals and hearings and so on. Mm-hmm. And a lot of my, my colleagues who had staff and those firms, they've already had to fire all of them. Uh, so it's been it's been a pretty scary um, concept. And so um, I don't know, you know, how they're doing. They're, they're probably just hanging on by the, the skin of their teeth as far as, you know, finances and everything else. So, yeah, yeah, it's uh, I've been talking to so many people from different industries and it's just everybody's everybody's suffering right now. So hopefully, yeah. hopefully things will pan out uh, sooner than later. But with uh with with everything going on i mean you said court court probably can't really even happen so people are sitting around waiting for things to happen has it affected you uh too much or it has it has affected um i would say primarily on the plaintiff side of, of personal injury because pushing cases to trial is our biggest sword our biggest weapon um to try to help our our clients right to push them um, and we haven't had any jury trials since the shutdown started. Yeah. And the fear and uh, suspicion is we probably won't see any jury trials for the year of 2020. Uh, so wow. that's scary because we're losing that weapon. Cases are stagnating. We're not able to close cases as quickly as we thought or had projected. Um, and so small firms like myself, I think, are OK right now. Bigger personal injury firms with big staff and, you know, who are expecting um, these cases to go to trial and, and, and get verdicts on them, uh, you know, now they don't have that projected income coming in. So now they're wondering if they're going to have to lay off their staff. So, so that's been pretty big. Um, and I will say this too, it, it's somewhat cutting news. Um, the Illinois Supreme court did issue an order saying that starting in June courts are, are allowed to be open. That's great. Uh, but they're leaving it up to the local County judges to, to, you know, make that decision. Uh, so, mm-hmm. What most of us think is that the Collier counties, the smaller counties, will start to open a lot sooner, and then Cook County will probably be the last to open. So we don't know when that's going to be. We're guesstimating maybe September, October. I couldn't imagine. I mean, especially for like criminal cases, if somebody gets um, you know arrested for something and then there's no ch- no no 
judge or anything. There's so many, you know, extra days they would have to stay if they're incarcerated. I, that's got to be, that's going to be crazy. Um, yeah. It, yeah. And, and I don't know if it works like that or not. I, I couldn't speak to criminal law um, yeah. as, as far as how that works. Yeah. I'm not sure either. I, I, I can just imagine. Yeah. I mean, if there's less court backlogs, you know, people are waiting longer. The system kind of, you know, was already pushed to its max uh, for the most part. But sure. Um, one of the things, uh, the reason I bring that up, and we, we talked about this last week, um, the fact that there is going to be such a backlog and there are going to be so many claims, so many things going on, so many things that have been, you know, pushed back and pushed back. Uh, how do you feel about things getting swept under the rug? How do you feel about, you know, uh, claims being thrown out that otherwise wouldn't have been? You know, right now, all of us kind of fear that 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 might be a reality. Um, you know, we have we've never faced this. The court system has never faced something like this. So odds are that claims are going to be lost or misfiled or so on. Yeah. Uh, and so how do you deal with it, especially if it happens, you know, in large quantities? Yeah. Uh, the good news is that um, the chief justice who is heading, especially the Daily Center, um, is working with a lot of the bar organizations to make sure that, you know, we stay on top of everything and we're informing each other and working together. So we're hoping that that will avoid um, a lot of these issues that, that we were just talking about. But, uh, you know, we're only human also. So errors are going to occur, I would imagine. Of course. of course. Yeah. Nobody's perfect. And I mean, it's not uh, obviously the government is not responsible for everything. I mean, the, the world is completely, uh, you know, going through the same thing for the most part. So uh, I, I can imagine it's uh, not one person's fault, but when you have a big system, especially in a big city like Chicago, um, there's going to be a lot of things that are going to be, you know, uh, uh, complained about on every side. Um, yeah. So that's uh, hopefully, hopefully, you know, we have we have uh, smart people in the right places to get these things worked right. out. Uh, <laughs> now, um, as far as uh, uh, I one, one note that I had is, is there are there. Um, like statute of limitations concerns or are there things where if it gets pushed back or delayed that people will lose just on that? Is there anything that is re relation to what you do? I, I'm just curious from a layman's perspective. Um, you know, I, I haven't seen that really be an issue. I think for the most part, um, if there is a statute of limitations that's coming up on a case, you can still file that electronically, file a lawsuit electronically to, to preserve the rights there. So I haven't seen that be an issue necessarily. What I have heard of is that um, certain deadlines by the court or responses have been pushed um, just because of, you know, of where we're at with an inability to, to, to process everything virtually, um, which can be good, I guess, depending, you know, on the circumstances. But, uh, you know, I guess uh, a backside to it is that the cases are still delayed. Yeah. Um, so that that's the one downside to it. Mm -hmm. Now, have you encountered anybody that's uh, been maybe af afraid to reach out because they didn't want to go to court or anything like that due to maybe getting infected? Has that played a role in anything that you've been doing? Um, yes, but not necessarily for courts, uh, but more so because of their injuries. So okay. that that's another way that this um, shutdown has really affected us or this pandemic has really affected us because uh, ordinarily somebody gets into a bad car accident, for example, and they'll say, yeah, you know, just as a safety precaution, I'll take the ambulance to the hospital. Uh, they're not doing that. They're so scared oh, wow. yeah. of getting sick by going to a hospital that they're just taking their injuries and going home. 
and so we don't know what implications that's going to have uh, yet. Uh, and that's on multiple fronts on the injuries to the person. right? Yeah. We don't know if, if they had received earlier care, um, if they would have been able to heal quicker or, or anything of that sort, but also the, the legal implications, um, as I mentioned before, you know, if they wait too long to go see yeah. a doctor after an accident because of fear of going to clinics and so on, uh, it just becomes harder to, to link up injuries to an accident. Yeah, that's a really good point. I, I mean, it, it makes perfect sense because I would definitely be hesitant to, to go out and venture to a, a doctor if they're even open, you know, uh, for the most part. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, how, how does how do you even how do you even accomplish that? I mean, for for, you know, for the longest and I don't even know if it's changed now, um, making an appointment and going to see your family doctor or something like that. If it's a non-emergency thing, maybe you have a you know, your back's not right or something. Um you, you're not even able to do that, right? So how yeah. does how does how does that work out? What do you what do you suggest for somebody in that situation? Uh, to find a doctor or group that does um, telehealth um, is probably the best thing to do. Yeah, uh, there are some clinics that uh, do take extra extra precautions with everybody wearing masks and disinfecting everything, and patient goes in with a mask and so on if they want to, you know, do a person uh, a to person evaluation. Um, but that's, I would say the riskiest part of it. Right. Um, yeah. so if, if for folks who are, you know, are immune compromised or older, I would suggest, yeah, just telehealth is, is probably the way to go. Um, and if I could just add sort of a, a tangent on that, sure, um, yeah. what's happened too now is, you know, part of the, the value of personal injury cases is how much a person is injured and what medical treatment they require as a result. Right. Not only are folks not able to get the proper treatment because they're terrified of getting infected or their doctors don't have telehealth, uh, but those that do, um, you know, they're, they're not able to get physical therapy in a traditional way. Mm -hmm. And so the value of their cases, these cases are, are going to be very low for them um, and for us in the industry of personal injury. So we, we've yet to see how um, insurance companies are going to respond when we say, hey, listen, my client um, has asthma. Mm -hmm. She couldn't go get an MRI, but it was um, prescribed. So can you account for an MRI prize in, in a settlement? And they're probably going to say no. Wow. Uh, so, yeah. So we'll see how that happens. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many unknowns. I mean, it's the, you know, the, it's everything, every, everything I, I have to say is, oh, well, we don't know. You know, <laughs> I don't yeah. think anybody really yeah. has anything. Big, now, big question. That's right. Another question that I have is, so say, for instance, somebody gets injured and then as a result of getting medical attention, they get COVID, say, for instance. Yeah, yeah. Who, is that added to their injury? Is, is there liability that you would seek, or, you know, for that? Is that part of the equation in that case? Um, How does that work? In that we don't know category once again. Yeah, right. Because the, the, the governor did issue uh, sort of a broad immunity to uh, first responders and hospitals who are dealing with a lot of COVID patients because mm -hmm. it's too much to manage, right? If, if you get COVID in, in one of these um, facilities. Uh, having said that, um, we don't know if that's going to remain or if things will change once and, and if we do get out of this COVID world. Um, and what I mean by that is we don't know if there's going to be viable lawsuits um, that, that will you know, do something on behalf of these folks. For example, I had one client call me whose dad uh, broke his hip. He's older. He was taken to the hospital 
uh, was fine, was COVID free, went to a nursing home, contracted COVID and passed away. Oh, so is there geez. a case against the nursing home? Um, again, big question. We, we still don't know. So there's a lot of things happening right now. There's no precedent for it. Yeah. Um, so we'll see how, how it happens. Yeah. And well, it's, it's definitely beneficial to talk about it, you know, to bring up these points because there are so many things that are going to be debated, whether it's right or whether it's wrong. And, you know, since there are so many unknowns and there are no precedents for these things, we're, we're kind of in the process of making them, I guess. Um, yeah. So these debates are very, very important. And that's why I like, you know, uh, uh, having people like you on the show. Um, now, uh, to switch it a little bit from, you know, say uh, uh, an injury happening or going into the doctor or something, say, for instance, you're in the workplace, uh, say you're in, uh, you know, I brought this up before the Amazon thing, you know, where they they struck, uh, they were on strike, they refused to work because they didn't have equipment, protective equipment. Yeah. Um, and say they get something and they, you know, is that, is that going to be a liability? Is that something, are there cases, I'm sure there's cases in the works now about that type of stuff. Do you have any insight on that? Um, I don't have any, uh, direct insight on it, but, um, I, I would agree with you that I'm sure there's a lot of cases that are already being examined about it and what any uh, attorney looking into this has to examine is where did they contract it? And that I think is going to be the biggest key because if they're a delivery person, um, you know, if they contracted it from building X versus Mm -hmm. their own facility where they were, you know, their shipping and distributing facility, you know, what, what does that do as far as who's at fault for, for the contracting of the virus or Mm -hmm. is it just a blanket, um, attack uh, of liability on the employer on Amazon for failing to to provide the proper equipment. Right. Um, big big questions to stuff that we'll probably see unfold. You know, in the next months or years. Um, and you know, it, it could be that okay, listen, you know, we did provide you the right equipment. Um, you went to this building, and we we probably got it there. We probably got it in f- for five different buildings. So there's no way you can link it up to us case dismissed. You know, yeah. It could be one of those situations too. You know, and I, I figure as the devil's advocate side, you know, prove it, you know, I mean, right. how, how are you going to prove it? I don't know. I don't think you can. Yeah. And, and oftentimes that's all that you need on a defense. Um, right. You know, it's okay. Well, it could have come from many places, not just us. So, you know, prove that it was us and that could very well just dismiss a case. Strange times, strange times. Yeah. <laughs> very fun <laughs> topics. But, yeah. yeah. Well, hey, I mean, that's as people are people are all wondering, people are all wondering right now, you know, yeah. all these different things. So hopefully, you know, just these questions themselves, uh, uh, the right people will hear them and maybe ask them even more. Um, yeah. As far as a positive note goes, where do you see uh, where do you see us coming out on this? What do you think? Um, what do you think we're going to learn from this experience uh, as far as the law goes and injury goes and, and liability and all these things? Where are we going to come come out on this? My hope is that we've become more advanced and more tech savvy with the law overall. Um, you know, we joke that lo- the law, much like politics, is controlled by old, old white men, right? And so it tends to be pretty retroactive and slow to respond to the needs of you know constituents, users, etc. It used to. I used to talk to a judge who I used to tell, "Listen, why? Why am I sitting in court for two hours for my case to be called, and it's a five-minute status? I just wasted three days of, of, of or three hours of my day yeah. doing this. There's got to be a more efficient way to do this. Can we call in? Can we zoom in?" And at first, he was like, "No, it's it's hard to handle." Well, it's happening now. 
Yeah. Right. So this COVID has forced us to see that it is possible to do that and to do many similar things like hearings. I mean, you know, the Supreme Court of the United States is, is doing that now. Uh, in Texas, there's going to be a Zoom trial, the first ever. Uh, wow. And there's be a lot of implications, I would imagine. And I don't want to go down that wormhole. But, um, you know, um, I, my hope is that we do find ways to be more efficient with technology and embrace technology and the law and not run away from it like we have before. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, just with everything the way that it is, I mean, with with, with the legislators and every like the Senate, the House wanting to do votes, you know, they can't do it remotely. They don't want to fly in, you know, and, you know, for good reason, uh, you know, you don't want to go and fly in and put yourself at risk. So. You know, a lot of things definitely have to change. And, you know, at the same time, there's security uh, concerns as well, you know, and, uh, you know, things like that. So there's a lot to weigh. But uh, I think that, yeah, I mean, a move towards a streamlined system, something that utilizes the technology that we have, um, it makes the most sense uh, to speed things up, uh, you know, take the burden off, um, you know, the the government uh, uh, funding and all that stuff. I mean, you have to have much larger staff if you have no technological, uh, uh, you know, efficiency going on. So hopefully, yeah. hopefully that comes out as a, as a, as a, as a net positive there. Um, so, um, you <laughs> yeah. know, and if I can add something to it too, sure. um, I think another positive may be that, uh, a lot of employers will probably save money in having less staff in an office. If, if now they learn, okay, well they can work just as efficiently at home, maybe virtual offices will become a thing as well. Yeah. Uh, commercial real estate will hate it, right? But, uh, you know, anybody else who doesn't have to pay, uh, you know, large amounts of rent and all, and so on might, might benefit awfully. Yeah, it's funny you brought up commercial real estate. I was just having a conversation with somebody um, a little bit earlier today. Um, there's, He told me there's another side to that uh, coin there where, um, you know, people are also saying that maybe they'll actually need more space because they'll have to social distance more so they'll actually uh. need, you know, so I, don't, I, don't, I doubt that because I feel like probably doesn't make that much sense. But yeah, it, de- it depends on who's selling you. The better salesman's going to win. Right. So, <laughs> True. True. Yeah. you know, but uh, but yeah, that's uh, it, it is interesting because also Twitter just announced. I don't know if you if you heard, but uh, just recently they're not going to require any of their employees to come back to the office. They, they, they're yeah. going to allow them all to work remotely indefinitely. So it seems like tech companies are, for the most part, doing that. I heard Google was yeah. doing the same, um, a couple other ones out there. So yeah. maybe they know something we don't. <laughs> well, I mean, we have the Internet. I think I think if anything has been proved, it's that our infrastructure, for the most part, is able to handle it. You know, the load of people being at home. And uh, that's a positive. I mean, we never have yeah. that test, you know, I mean, uh, of of making sure that we can kind of do the school work and do the zoom meetings. And we've kind of proven that, that we haven't had any reports of big breakdowns in the system. So that's, yeah. that's good. I think it can definitely be done. And, you know, I think I it's a positive thing. Uh, uh, also there's studies, lots of studies that people are more productive only working four hours a day, as opposed to going into an office. And, you know, when anybody that works in an office, you go in, you don't really start working for the, you know, the first hour or so, you know, you get your coffee, you know, <laughs> you, you mingle, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Yeah. You know, uh, it's funny that they were, we're t- discussing this now because I was just on the phone with uh, my vice here for the young lawyer section 
And he's uh, going to be chairsman. So his big thing, his big theme will be using technology in the law, right? Um, sort of embracing what's going on now. And he did some, some, he crunched some numbers as far as the average commute of Chicagoans yeah. per day, per week, per month, and so on. And I, I'm not quoting him verbatim, but he said in a lifetime, you're probably wasting about two to three years just commuting alone. Man. Yeah. It's right. So yeah, I believe yeah, it. So maybe this virtual. Will, will be a change of that. Absolutely. Yeah. Hopefully, uh, you know, the, the, the traffic will die down, you know, a little bit. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that'll be a positive thing. Um, and, uh, you know, so let's get a little bit to, um, you know, kind of uh, uh, the passion that you have as far as, you know, helping uh, and focusing on um, marginalized people, you know, undocumented immigrants and, uh, you know, uh, workers like that. I know that you brought that up before, and one of the big things is that not only do, 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 are people afraid to report things, but they don't even know what to report a lot of times because they're not aware of their laws or of their rights. Can you yeah. explain a little bit more about that problem and what we were talking about last time? Yeah, I mean, it's essentially that, right? So the, the hesitations of uh, undocumented Spanish speakers of doing anything is they're afraid. They sometimes culturally, they just they, they think it's a macho thing to suck it up. Sure. Um, and a lot of times they just don't understand the, the, the implications that that uh, that brought their injuries, the legal implications, let alone that they have rights, rights to be able to do something. So they yeah. think, well, I'm undocumented, I'm injured, but I'm not a citizen, so I probably can't do anything. Um, and it's sad and it's frustrating. And uh, for that reason, I, you know, I'm talking to you about it and I give a lot of lectures about it to nonprofits and so on. Uh, because education is key. And uh, so little is known about that alone that literally earlier today, a colleague of mine called me because he's got a Spanish speaking client and he asked me these very same questions. So even attorneys don't know, you know, if, right. if undocumented folks have, have the same rights as citizens. Um, and so the answer is they do. Uh, right. So they, they do have pretty much the same rights to file a claim to get compensation. And so on, the only difference between a, an undocumented person and a citizen is if you're uh, filing a claim for lost wages, because they, they may or may not be um, a paper trail for, for, for wages. Mm -hmm. um, and especially for future wages, it gets really complicated because then you're looking at, you know, are we going to talk about the currency from their country versus ours and so on. So, right. so a lot of times, you know, that it gets um, a little dicey. But besides that, everything else sort of remains the same. And, you know, I think people, I didn't know that. I don't think most people do. I mean, like you just said, most, a lot of lawyers probably don't. So right. what, um, I mean, besides reaching out to you, what resources are, are there? What, what things are in place for people to be educated on, on the, the rights that they have? Uh, good, good question. I actually don't know of many places that, that do provide this level of information. I think because it's, it's not well known at all. Um, so I don't really have an answer to that. I'm sorry. I, I, I would hope that a lot of nonprofits um, help with this information, if not try to connect um, these folks to, to attorneys like myself who can then provide those answers. Uh, but if there is a system like that, I'm, I'm not aware of it. Well, there you go. You, you got something to do, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess I just something with it. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And um, so, you know, I mean, say for instance, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm undocumented and I get into a car accident in the city and, 
you know, I, I hurt my back. Well, what is the first thing that I have to do? What should I do? Yeah, the first thing to do is to contact an attorney and do the research on the attorney. Make sure that it's not, you know, your your average Joe who's a generalist or who's who does many things. It's got to be somebody who specializes in personal injury, has great reputation, has great reviews online. Um, that doesn't cost anything. This line of work, uh, we don't charge unless we win something for our clients. So what I always tell my clients, whether it's Spanish speaking or English speaking, is um, you, you stand to gain a lot by working with me and nothing to lose. Because, you know, we don't bill for, for our time. Uh, we'll never send them an invoice if there's expenses. So we take on that risk because we want to be able to help. Um, and you know, one of the big things that I like about what, what I do is I could be anyone's attorney, um, you know, in, in the law now there's a big push for access to justice. Um, a lot of, um, practitioners charge a lot per hour, understandably. So, you know, they, 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 they're entitled to that pay. They deserve that pay, but there's a lot of folks who can't afford it. And so, you know, what can we do? Well, in personal injury, we don't have that issue. So um, your blue collar worker can hire me or, you know, a multimillionaire can, can hire me. And uh, the representation, the treatment and, and so on will, will be the same. That's interesting. Now, a question that comes to mind for somebody that knows nothing about this. Um, if you are making a claim and you're, you're undocumented, how do you, how does that even I mean, if there's no documents, how do you even account for that in any way? How does the legal system even identify who you are if there's no identification? Um, so there are there is documentation to the extent that there's there's a home address to the person, there's a car, there's an insurance policy that applies either by the person causing the accident or or sometimes even the the undocumented person himself or herself. Uh, so that process is enough to get that individual compensation. Uh, when we're on the back end of the case where uh, we settle the case and the insurance company is going to issue a check for compensation to the undocumented person. All they do is they, they, they note that the person is undocumented and that's it. Wow. Yeah. It doesn't go beyond that. They don't ask any questions or anything like that. And the person collects their money and, you know, and it just works out like that. And, and is this a, a regular occurrence? Like, it, is this something that um, is being fought uh, like actively? I would imagine you know, there's people on both sides that have strong opinions about these things. What type of yeah. um, what type of pushback have you encountered in in dealing with these situations? I, I personally haven't seen anything specifically against this. Um, as I said before, and as we probably all know, you know, in this political climate, there are a lot of attacks against immigrants in general. Yeah, um, I don't know if this uh, specific circumstance that I just described. Um, has something to do with it or not. Uh, but I, I just, I, I personally have not seen anything where people are like, oh, this is unfair. You know, this is, uh, this shouldn't happen. I, I haven't seen that. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's a thing that, that the majority of people probably are not aware of in any sense. You know, I mean, it's, it's something you hear yeah. on the news, you know, uh, right. you, you hear about, uh, you know, the good, the bad and the ugly on the news, all different things. Um, but, uh, when it comes down to real life, you know, people are not aware of, you know, the, the, you know, the, the legal aspects of this whole thing. You got this fly, uh, <laughs> it's got me right here, but, um, yeah, you know, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, it's good. It's good. I gotta do that. I gotta get the chopsticks out, but it's a fruit fly, man. I'll tell you having these house, house, house plants. Um, <laughs> we're going to cut that out. 
but but yeah, it's uh, it's it's one of those things where education is uh, important. You know, just bringing it out to light. So, what are some of the biggest um, things that people approach you for? You know, what are what are the things that you have the most experience with in your practice uh, in, in relation to you know workers' rights and and all that? Yeah, well, so it, in general, they, they approach me. Well, actually, let me let me answer it this way. Um, I can assist my clients in every field of personal injury, right? Whether they're involved in a car accident, uh, slip and fall, trip and fall, medical malpractice case, uh, wrongful death, uh, and these nursing home cases that I was telling you about. Uh, so across the board, I can help them. Uh, when they come to me, it's because they have a lot of what I call uh, pains. Pains, not necessarily in a literal sense, but more like Listen, I my car is wrecked and it got towed to this tow yard and I don't have any money to get it out. Um, and the defendant's insurance isn't answering my calls. What am I going to do? Yeah. Um, or, you know, I went to the hospital and I don't have health insurance. What am I going to do with these huge bills? Or, you know, I broke my leg. I don't have health insurance. What do I do as far as medical treatment goes? Um, or there was a hit and run. I, I couldn't catch the guy. I don't have car insurance. Who's going to pay for anything, right? Yeah, so there's right. a lot of these different um, real reasons and, and pains that that they reach out to me, um, and these are the reasons why they end up hiring me, right? Uh, it's because I can assist with with all of those areas. Yeah, well, I mean, there's a it's a wide range personal injury. I mean, there's lots of different yeah. things. I mean, people get hurt in so many different ways, right? Um, yeah. So it's uh, I'm sure it, it's it's got to be. I mean, what's your favorite part of what you do? Would you say? What's the most uh, gratifying thing that you, that you, you know, for, for me, it's actually on the workers' compensation side um, okay. on two fronts. Number one, a lot of times when these folks are injured and it's usually an undocumented person, the employers flat out deny them workers' compensation rights in many ways. They tell them they don't have workers' compensation coverage when they do. Mm-hmm. Um, or they say, you know, I'll send you to this like side doc here. I'll pay for your medical bill. Um, and maybe they do, maybe they don't. And that's the extent of the treatment we get involved. We get them that workers compensation insurance coverage that did exist, make sure that they get the treatment that they deserve, that they're being denied, make sure that they're getting their, their checks or or, I'm sorry, their pay that's supposed to come to them Mm -hmm. when they're the breadwinner and they can't work because they're so injured. Uh, that is the most gratifying part of this is that we, I literally feel like I'm saving them to, to a certain extent, right? Because yeah. I'm providing access to healthcare, uh, and income that they desperately need. Um, and at the back end, you know, they get compensated for, for what happened to them. Uh, so that feels, that feels really good. Um, now sometimes too, and, and you and I were talking about this last week, we have, um, these day laborers. And yes. day laborers aren't entitled necessarily to workers' compensation benefits. Usually those are those kick in uh, or are triggered when you have someone who's a W-2 employee. Uh, if it's an independent contractor, it gets really complicated. If it's a day laborer, even more, right? Yeah. So a lot of these day laborers usually are, you know, stereotypically the ones that you see waiting for, for a job in, in Home Depot or so on. Uh, so if they get injured, then what happens to them? Um, and that is the answer right now is they don't have access to much. Right. Um, so that's why I teamed up with this nonprofit I was telling you, um, which is the, the Northside Latin Progress. So they they work with these day laborers, they clothe and feed them. And so because these day laborers don't have many rights, um, you know, a lot of my proceeds um, go, go to them uh, so that we can provide clothing and, and food and so on for them. 
Wow. And uh, what was the name of that foundation again? It's the Northside Latin Progress. Uh, Gretchen Moore is the founder and executive director of there. Very, very nice lady. She's been doing this for years. And we met about a couple of years ago. And I told her, listen, I think this is what I'm going to do. I think this is what we have to do. Because in this world of workers' compensation, it's probably our only option right now until something else changes. Yeah. Now, you know, you say until something else changes, what are some of the things that you would like to see um, in the world, you know, kind of change for for uh, the rights? and you know, the- uh, you know, if there was a, some sort of a work permit establishment um, and I, I don't know if it would be via a nonprofit or, or the government itself, but if these day laborers had, you know, a pathway towards becoming a W-2 employee and had access to some sort of limited health care um, or workers comp benefits, it would, it would fix this. But I understand that on the employer side, it costs money to do that. Uh, And so that's why there, you know, the system is what it is now. Um, I would like to see that change. I just, I don't know, you know, if there's any push for it right now or Mm -hmm. if there, if there will be. Yeah. I'm, I'm getting killed by fruit flies right now. I don't know why, (laughs) but yeah, I got all the windows closed. Um, (laughs) Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's uh, it, there's there's so many uh, different things that everybody's kind of like uh, fighting for. There's so many different things that like, you know, uh, c- citizens rights and, and against uh, undocumented rights. I think that, you know, that's like the last priority for so many people. So what does it take for the everyday citizen to do the work that the government may, you know, probably not end up doing? What can what can normal people do to help these people? Um, you know, besides uh, taking up lobbying or, uh, or 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 talking to lobbyists to see if we could, you know, make some some real changes. Um, you know, as as far as legislation goes, I think you know joining nonprofits like the Northside Latin Progress is is a good way to go. Donating clothes, you know, go through their boyfriend's dad's closet, anything that they're not using, you know, give, give the Northside Latin progress because they, they desperately need that. Um, and that's, I think, an immediate impact that, that can provide to these day laborers. Yeah. I think that there's going to be a huge, uh, a huge amount of people that are going to be willing to uh, do charity. You know, the, the, the more fortunate people um, that, that come out on top. Uh, through this crisis, I think there there's going to be a, a large amount of people that are going to be willing to give and you know do the right thing for people because you know everywhere you look you know there's somebody that's really really struggling you know for um, you know every community you know has its winners and its losers and um, you know uh, I think that uh, if everybody kind of uh, took a step back I think we've had an opportunity since we've been shut down and since we've been you know kind of uh, had had some time to reflect um, I think we all kind of are starting to realize that, you know, our communities are important. Everybody in our community is important. So, yeah. you know, those are the things that I think, uh, uh, I think that's going to be a positive change as well. So, you know, I, I, yeah. I hope it is definitely. Um, and, uh, you know, for anybody that's having any problems, um, obviously contact you, uh, you're in, you're in Chicagoland. Um, you know, the, the website is dlochicago.com. That is the, um, you know, the uh, Duran Law Offices and, uh, you know, they, they can they can go on the website and get your phone number and contact you. Um, yeah. Are there any words of advice that you'd like to give to people uh, before we go? Is there anything that you want to leave the audience with? 
Yeah, I sort of um, give these these three things not to do after an accident. Okay, and perfect. The, the biggest one is do not give any recorded statements before you talk to an attorney, uh, whether it is your employer, whether it is your insurance carrier, just, just talk to an attorney first. Uh, it won't cost you anything, like I said, and you have nothing to lose and you'll get better guidance. Um, also, don't just leave the scene. You know, take photographs if you can. Document everything because evidence goes away very, very quickly. Right. Um, and always follow the advice of, of the attorney because that's only going to help. Um, so the, I, I would say, you know, follow those steps and that'll help you a lot. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's always good advice. I mean, you know, find somebody that knows more than you on a subject, you know, seek help. Seek uh, yeah. legal help, you know, when you're when you're in legal trouble, definitely is good advice all the way around. Um, and, uh, you know, with that, uh, you know, I really do appreciate you coming on the show. Um, very helpful uh, information. And, you know, if uh, if if anybody's interested in, you know, the information that we talked about and the organization that uh, we talked about, we'll put the links in the description below. Um, but uh, Akibio, I, I really, really appreciate you. And um, yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me on. Yep. Good luck with everything. Take care. Yeah, thank you. Thank you.